Hi, everyone. This is Neil Malonsal. Welcome to the Twyla After Show. Joining me, of course, is co-producer Carl Wiggers. Thanks for joining us, Carl. Thanks Avery Davidson and Kristen Oaks, co-host of Twyla. In the house, Monica's taking pictures so that click, 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 Monica Velasquez is responsible for it. Thank you, Monica. We do appreciate it. You'll see us on the website doing those very things. Um, we're going to talk about Barry and not other Barry or Barry the TV show or any of that. There's there's a lot of Barry mm -hmm. jokes going around, but uh, what isn't a joke is the amount of water that tropical system, that hurricane dropped on our state. I drove to Dallas recently. I-49 looks like a lake on each side. It looks like a thin strip of land mm -hmm. in between two lakes. Avery, I know you've covered this extensively with some live reports and Facebook Live there and uh, at the Gonsalans and all through the southern and central part of the states. What's it looking like right now, two weeks here after the storm? Two weeks after the storm, there's still water on fields in Avoyles Parish. I spoke with uh, Keith Lacombe up there in Avoyles Parish yesterday. I uh, spoke, spoke with him briefly, and he said, yeah, we still have hundreds and hundreds of acres underwater, and it's because of the drainage situation they have there. You're looking at an area which flows into a single canal into the Atchafalaya River. Well, the Atchafalaya River ain't exactly low right now. It's extremely high because the Mississippi River is high, so that is pushing water or keeping water on those fields because it's not able to drain. And that's kind of going to kind of be the focus of my story next week. This this week's story was just to focus on what Barry did right off off the bat. And that was in Iberia Parish, putting water on cane fields that can't drain because you had it's storm surge. Up. Yeah. So that's finally drained off. But then you have the 10, 15, 19 inches of rain that fell from uh, Evangeline Parish all the way up to Avoyles Parish, and that is staying there, and that's that's where the problem really is for our soybean farmers because they're the ones who are going to see the greatest loss. Yeah. Some of that, some of the, I was going to say, some of that rain fell on Kristen's place uh, right. out there as far as in Natchez. Uh, tell us about that. It seemed like it came, uh, followed right along the river. It mm -hmm. was what it looked like when it was coming through, and the strangest thing was. When the storm started to hit, it was supposed to come, you know, Friday night. Mm -hmm. We waited around, never rained. Saturday, got a little bit of rain, but I would have to say over, between Saturday and Sunday, t the total accumulation that we had in our area was about an inch. And then Sunday mm -hmm. night, and it was horrific. And it mm -hmm. seemed like that bad band just kept forming, and it, it never really moved. It kind of just sat on us. Yeah. Sunday night, and we got about 10 inches in Concordia Parish. Well, here in Baton Rouge, one of the big discussions was, you know, that bad cell coming right through the Baton Rouge, and everybody And it was, never did. And, well, it kind of did, but not nearly like it did in most everything kind of west of the river. And yeah. I remember that was one of the big—a lot of the focus, you know, going into it, at least for us here in Baton Rouge, was— what, are we having another 2016? It's right. And mm -hmm. that's what we were all worried about. I know that it's very close to home for a lot of people, but— we kind of feel like we dodged the bullet, but farmers, it sounds like, did not miss at all. Like no. it, it, They got the worst of it. There was still a bullet there, and the bullet just changed targets. Mm -hmm. And it went to an area that may have been less populated, so you're not going to have as much home flooding, but you have more field flooding. And the water's still going to go from high to low. And so that's what we're seeing now, especially Rapides, Avoyles, St. Landry Parishes. There's still water hanging out there because it all drains into the Atchafalaya over there by Crot Springs. Now, what's kind of funny... Um, is through the storm, when it was making landfall in Vermilion Parish, I was texting with Christian Richard, who's in Kaplan. In fact, uh, 
his wife Julie sent me a picture, a screenshot off of her phone of the track of the storm and the blue dot where she was. Well, that the line perfectly bisected the blue dot that she was. <laughs> and so Christian and I were texting. He was like, you know, it's not bad here. He was in the center of circulation, so the winds weren't the worst there. He wasn't getting a lot of rain. He, he jokingly referred to it as fake weather. <laughs> but, you know, it was everywhere else. And he was very, we're very fortunate that where it made landfall wasn't as bad. But those places to the east of the center of circulation, once the moisture came out of the Gulf, once that dry air from the north that Jay Grimes spoke about, once that vacated Louisiana, well, then it was just all coming down right then and there. We had a lot of wind, too. I mean, the most wind that I can remember that far north, to me, it mm-hmm. seemed like a lot of wind. I mean, and that started Friday night and carried on until, you know, the storm came through. Mm-hmm. Storms are just weird like that. You know, another weird thing, I think, is speaking of rice, how how little these storms correspond with the times that they need to fill up. You know, they spend so much money pumping water onto their rice fields, and then a storm comes along after they're done and dumps a lot of water. Farmers, of course, are getting rice farmers getting ready to start harvest here in a couple weeks. Well, speaking of, Carl, you mentioned west of the river got a lot of rain. Also west of the river is Canatella's Grocery Store. The story well, that, now it's on both sides. Now it's on both sides. Tell us about that. So Canatella's Grocery is actually a it's a grocery store that goes, I think they opened in 1923. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the booming city of Melville, I learned they actually had, the family had two grocery stores in Melville. Oh, wow. I, didn't, hmm. I was like, when you drive through Melville now in 2019, you're thinking how in the world can one grocery store stay afloat, not to mention... Multiple, and they had they had dealership car dealerships, they had hotels because it was a big booming area that people tr- drove through a lot. So, Canatella Grocery began there, and now my kind of my angle of the story is the small town grocer has now found its way into uh, a booming part of Baton Rouge in Mid City, and it's a I, I just think it's a neat. Some they asked me whenever I called them, I said, "Hey, I want to do a story about this," and they're like, "What's that got to do with agriculture?" And I was like, it's kind of, well, that's where all of our, you know, all of the agricultural mm-hmm. products find its way through there. And, and Canatella's, it's it's kind of crazy to think about, like, what's the connection? We know many Canatella's. I mean, De- Denise and Charles and mm-hmm. Vincent, who are all very involved. It's the same family. Yeah. It's their, uh, it's Vin- it's Charles's brothers who own the grocery store and they're doing that. But they're big time farmers just, I mean, a couple miles from the grocery store. But um that store in Melville is not just a grocery store. It's also a hardware store. They sell Yetis. They sell fishing lure. They sell gift cards. Anything you can imagine, you can get it at that store. So it's it's kind of just a hub for that rural farm community now. First time I went there, I was traveling with Sam Irwin, who uh, used to work with the Department of Ag and Forestry. He's now a uh, PR director for the American Sugarcane League. But I had never been to Canatella's, had no idea. We went in there, and we got a couple of sandwiches and a couple of Cokes, and that was just a really, really good lunch. I was like, wow. And Sam Sam knows all these little, like, Mm hole-in-the-wall places in all the small towns in Louisiana. Kind of like Henry Bernard? Yeah, kind (laughs) of like Henry Bernard, but... Uh, but Sam writes about them as well. Oh, yeah. So, right. yeah, because he'll write stuff for Country Roads and everything. But it's just really neat. And, and it was like to see it now moving into the city and kind of understand why that has to happen. Yeah. 
I mean, one of the things about that is, you know, there's all these old, you know, hole in the wall places across the state that are really great to eat at. But Canatella's is opening up in probably the hottest part of Baton Rouge right now. Uh, government streets being redone completely. They've got all these new places that are opening up. Seems like a new one every single week opens up there. White Star Market is there. If you haven't been in Baton Rouge, it's a sort of collective of it's like a food court in a mm-hmm. mall. It's got all of these different restaurants that are self-contained, including Jacob uh, Dakota government taco and mm-hmm. um and you can but you eat in a central cafeteria kind of thing and so if you want to bring your the kids bring their friends and they all get something from some different places sometimes one person gets multiple good a taco here and a you know a dessert there and ramen. so the yeah, right ramen place right the new ramen places there is, is great and so they all uh uh, eat there, but the, and that's just one place along just miles of it. So it's really great to see Canatella's in a really prosperous well, place. And we talk about you know these new places that are coming on. Uh, we've we've featured actually the neighbor for Canatella's, uh, the Roca Pizzeria. Mm-hmm. We've done stories on uh, AJ. I think did a story mm-hmm. uh, feasting on agriculture from Roca because they're using uh, you know Louisiana products like Jay's. Uh, some JDs, like a, I think a bar- barbecue pizza. They mm-hmm. got some Iverstein Farms pizzas that have like Iverstein's pork on it. It's really cool. But they're on the they're in the same building. Canatella's is touching in the same share parking lot with that pizzeria. It's it's a booming place right now. Is it obvious that we are shooting this like as we should be preparing for dinner time? Because I think we're all yeah. talking oh food. Yeah. Like my you stomach, probably hear my yes. stomach growling through the microphone. That's my question, Kristen. Did did Carl bring you anything from Canatella's? No, he did oh, not. Interesting. As uh, par for the course with you guys. Well, well, never bring anything back. He didn't bring anything for me either. So uh, I cannot tell if he brought anything because he ate it all. Oh, oh wow. Wow. I, wow! I'll give you all a quick rundown. I ate the muffaletta for lunch. When I shot the story, I got some pork wrapped, uh, some uh, cream cheese and jalapeno wrapped pork chops. I guess cream cheese and jalapeno make everything better. Yes. I can't mm-hmm. wait. I'm putting them on the grill tonight. Mm-hmm. I got some uh, sausage, which is what they're really well known for, Italian sausage. And their plate um, lunches. And their plate lunches. I that, That's what they. That's what really makes the Melville location mm-hmm. so great. What they're doing in uh, Mid-City is they're really kind of zeroing in on that Italian mm-hmm. uh, kind of – there's a very much an Italian lean to the offerings they have there. They have – a lot of pasta, you know, sir, like dishes. They have dishes that are really cool. They have, you know, they're, they're making lasagna, and that's what in this in this story, I show that they're like, you know, Grant's in Melville making his lasagna that they they'll cook and then freeze, and you can buy a little four or six serving uh, options from <laughs> these guys that know how to do Italian food and do it well, and you can buy those in on Government Street. How well, long you, do they stay open? Yeah, <laughs> they're probably open till. But you can probably catch them on the way home. Mm-hmm. Well, wrap this up. I'm going to abruptly change conversations because I'm starving and you brought me nothing, Carl. So we're going to move on to an NRCS program that I covered this week. It is helping veterans turn into farmers. I went out to Vernon Parish and there is a farmer there named Freddie Maines who spent his career in the United States Marines. And not just him, but his wife. One of the funny things was he said – 
his wife Patty was more of a Marine than me. She was the one ordering people around and whatnot. And Freddie's just kind of he's he was ready to leave uh, his military service in the past and and move on into this new farming endeavor. And he's also the manager of the Alexandria Farmers Market, so you can catch him there where he sells a lot of his products. But he's growing everything, and the list is far too long for me to list here. And and right now he's kind of in between crops. He's growing. He started some new tomatoes. He's got some corn out there. They also grow ornamental flowers. He does a lot, and he just likes to try new things and stick his hands in different, you know, types of soil. And I, I just thought it was it was really great to see this uh, a, a kind of a blueprint for veterans and for anybody really interested in farming to start up this new project and to start new greenhouses and 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 really get into just a growing field. Was he raised on a farm or in agriculture or anything? How did he kind of find his way into into this? I, I mean, I did talk to him about it and he had kind of a, you know, he wanted to get into it. But the thing was, like so many young farmers at 18 years old, the high cost of getting into it was just exorbitant for him. And so he joined the Marines and he went in that career. And so now this program, I mean, it's funny getting out of it 20 years, a career later, he still saw that high cost that was a barrier to so many farmers. And this program is one of the ways that helps him. He got assistance to build those, um, what is it? High, high tunnel, tunnel. Hoop houses? High tunnel uh, greenhouses. And so um, he's got three of them out there. They look great. The ornamental flowers are beautiful. He's got some gladiolas out there that mm. were still growing that are just gorgeous. My, one of my wife's favorite flowers. And uh, But it, it looked good. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff he can do. And he, the cool thing that he likes to do, as I said, is try new things. So he's got a whole different set of crops that he's growing in addition to the very, you know, the popular ones like tomatoes. Oh, that's pretty neat. The reason I asked like if he was raised in that is because it's interesting to me like for me there's i was raised on a farm and there's that little bit in me always it's like man maybe i wouldn't mind you know trying to farm and i'm actually we were talking about this morning a series i'm wanting to do we're talking about the fsa and what they do to help new people that are young farmers that want to get into it so i was curious what kind of sparked that in him if if it was something, um, you know, that, that he was raised in or just... I think like you, he had he all had that interest, but I think a lot of uh, this program aimed towards veterans is sort of helping them reconnect with uh, reality in a lot of ways. Farming is often a solitary work, and so this helps them do something that, you know, they're very comfortable with that doesn't involve a lot of interaction with a lot of different people, you know, or it, or it can vary as to how much they want. It's cathartic. Yeah, it is cathartic. And I think also there's something to something therapeutic about planting a seed and growing it up and creating a living thing from your hands, especially for veterans who, you know, may have seen a lot of difficult times overseas. Well, you, I, there were a couple of years ago that uh, I did a story up in Alexandria over at the VA there, um, a group of folks who are trying to help disabled vets get into agriculture and even setting up raised beds for them to be able to work and everything. So, I mean, I, I think the programs that are now becoming available for our veterans to get involved in agriculture are just tremendous. And the NRCS, putting something like that together to help out is is amazing. I mean, if you're a vet, even if you're just thinking about doing something small scale, find out. It mm -hmm. doesn't hurt. Yeah.
That's right. Well, speaking of therapeutic things, we lost somebody in the Farm Bureau family this past week. Um, Stephanie Payne, who had devoted her life after the loss of her daughter, Savannah, to therapy and healing and bringing back, was unfortunately killed in a terribly tragic accident uh, this past Monday. And um, she was 51 years old. She and her husband, Tim, Tim, who works here at Farm Bureau as a director of field services, and their daughter, Isabella, who is a student at S. And uh, we were just sort of in shock this past week. It was actually a little difficult to get everything together for the show. We're shooting late here today. And and part of that is just um, a lot of us just spent Tuesday numb, I think, from from just the shock of of two very tragic losses for this family that is uh, that is just some of the best people on the earth. Yeah, in less than three years. And that's that's the part that you know, I, I keep going back to is how much can a family take? Yeah. You know, and I mean, fortunately, the pains have the Farm Bureau family to fall back on, but it's, it, it's painful, man. It I mean, is. it just, it, there's no, there's no good thing to, to think about in, in losing loved ones. And, and I, I, Especially someone as vibrant and outspoken and energetic as Stephanie Payne. I mean, I've said this over and over again when people ask me about Stephanie. Her personality enters the room before she does. You hear her coming in, uh, you know, because she's got a big mouth and a bigger heart. <laughs> I, I, I know that firsthand because I grew up every Sunday. We sat in the pew behind the Payne family. And so it was Tim and Stephanie, Savannah, and then later on, little Isabella. And I looked at her with such awe because it was, to know Stephanie was to know love because she had this dazzling smile and a laugh that was just infectious because when, when she laughed, it felt like everybody laughed. And she would... She just made you, when she talked to you, she made, she had that really unique quality of that she really listened to you. Mm-hmm. And she made you feel like you were the most important person in the room when she talked mm-hmm. to you. And, you know, I've heard her say so many times when she's, when she's talking about what Savannah went through in there in the hospital. And she said, you know, the, the, the people that brought food, the doctors, the nurses, the people that took care of Savannah were the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, you've heard her say that a lot. Well, if they were the hands and feet, I think that Stephanie was the soul and the face of Jesus Christ because you knew that she had Christ in her and that she, she just loved and she loved hard and she, she made you feel like what, if Christ is love, you know, she, she embodied it. Yeah. And so it, she will leave an exceptional void for that family and I think for anybody that knew her. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think about when I think about Stephanie is just the encourager that she was. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there she, you couldn't have a conversation with her and not be encouraged about whatever you're doing, taking pictures or, you know, shooting some video. That's one of the things she thought. She called me Superman all the time. And I said, Stephanie, I, <laughs> I am – a, a wee little being and all this. She, she thought she, she made you feel like you said, Kristen, she made you feel like you were the most important person in the world. And she, she went out of her way often to make sure that you knew that. And you, that she, be, she lets you know that she believed that. Whether she knew you or not. I yeah. mean, she, 
she never met a stranger mm-hmm. and she she just she embraced everybody she came across mm-hmm. and that's you know her legacy as someone who was finding her way out of this great darkness she was killed on the way home from tennis practice the, she, she had and tennis match and it was tennis match the crazy thing is that tennis match was delayed because of rain right you know when you think of all the factors all the variables that had to fall into place for her to be at that location at that time sure having just spoken with her husband and her daughter on the phone the fact that her daughter called her back and she didn't answer and that was how they learned that something was wrong when you put all of that together it's it's mind numbing to figure out how such a thing could happen to such a wonderful family it is and and my thought on the matter is that stephanie and tim and isabella were all finding new ways to live again and she wrote a blog about that that very morning we'll link it on our website for you to read it but she had uh found new ways to recover from probably the worst thing that can happen to somebody the loss of a child and she her legacy was to help people rebuild find new ways to heal from all of their tragedies and move on and i think that's her legacy and i think that if you want to do something if you feel moved by this terrible tragedy feeling so helpless of course is a natural reaction to this but it is to find ways to let her legacy live on in you find ways to rebuild and 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 find ways to heal and of course we don't need to do that uh immediately but um it's one of the things that uh you know i i think would would be a way to let stephanie live on and one of the things that we do have here that's an absolute blessing is we have her own words we have her own words in her own words and in some case in her own voice to help guide us through this and that's to me that's that's been what's helpful for me is being able to go back and read some of the blog posts listen, listen to, to her. the po- yeah listen to her podcast watch one of the videos of her speaking mm-hmm. well, i mean I, i'm part of the public relations group for baton rouge uh, and she spoke at one of our luncheons well since this has happened we've had a number of our members just reach out and say was that her and wanting to do something and so um it goes to show just how one meeting can make make all the difference whenever it came to Stephanie Payne. And that's what I would encourage people to do. Uh, find that blog on our website and we'll we'll link you to uh, everything that uh, she's left behind, which is an incredible legacy. And I think that's how she would want to be remembered and how you can help, uh, help her live on. Anyway, on behalf of Avery, Kristen, Carl, and myself, thanks for listening to Twilight After Show. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and even share it with a friend or two. Also, if you liked it, go ahead and leave us a review. Tell us what you think about the show. What would you like to hear more of? What do you not like that much? That's okay to hear too. The Twyla After Show podcast is brought to you by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again right here next week.